0: Up with is basically driven by what people want in the marketplace also and what i've always said to people is that whatever we do we try to do a little bit better because you know what my philosophy has always been there's not just one single ingredient that makes a huge difference in your health it's like anything else health is a process
1: Hi, I'm Jamie Bussin. I'm the publisher and editor-in-chief of The Tonic Magazine and producer and host of The Tonic Talk Show and Podcast. I'm also a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38, I lost 52 pounds through exercise and nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody could. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we're going to learn about the art of making supplements with Dr. Gordon Chang. We'll discuss edible flowers with Shauna Lindzen. We'll explore how to grow your own nutrient-dense food with Phil Nauda. And lastly, we'll find out about supportive tools for aging skin with V Mystery. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at OmegaAlphaInc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over twenty peer reviewed articles and conference proceedings. He's a regular on this show. Welcome, Gordon. How are you?
0: Very good, Jamie. Thanks for having me on again.
1: Always a pleasure. Today we're it's a little bit of a celebration. You and your business, we've got an anniversary to celebrate, yeah?
0: Yeah, it's been thirty years and I'll have to say time flies. It does. You know, uh, when we first started this business and if somebody said, Oh, you know, you'll be around for thirty years plus I say, holy I couldn't even imagine those things.
1: <laughs> At the beginning of 30 years, it seems like daunting. At the end of the 30 years, it's like a blink of an eye, right?
0: That is true. I tell everybody we're a 30-year-old overnight success.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning. How did you get started in the nutraceutical industry?
0: Well, as I said, I finished my PhD, did my postdoctoral work, and at that time, I looked around and said, okay, what do I want to do, right? And since I was in, did some work in biomedical engineering, a lot of my colleagues were engineers and as an academic, right, if I didn't have colleagues in engineering, everybody would think of the only route to go was academia. But because I had engineering colleagues, they popped in my mind and said, hey, you know, we, we can get into industry. And I looked around and see, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And I looked at into the private label business and said, oh, that's not a bad thing to get into. Now, you know, you, there's something we said about being green and knowing nothing. Yeah. Well, that was me. I, I thought the yeah. whole world it was a piece of cake. Just do it and they'll come. Right? Yeah. Well, we first got into the setup of a, uh, a business doing private label manufacturing, OT, trying to manufacture OTC products for, for pharmacy. And we built it, and the crickets were whistling and and making noise. <laughs> we yeah. got an occasional contract here and there, but not enough to, to feed us, or to feed me, as I should say. I, I was addicted to eating at, at that time. I right? still am. Yeah, food and water, me yeah, too. You know, yeah. Yeah. So I looked around and I scratched my head and said, well, shoot, so I spent all this money putting this business together what am I going to do with myself? You know, I I can't close it down, right? Mm -hmm. Especially since not all the money was mine. So eventually I looked around and said, well, I got a flash of inspiration because at that time, natural products were now starting to take off. And I said, well, you know what? This is something we can get into, Mm -hmm. right? The competition is still there, but it's not as great as getting into, say, private label or even, you know, other type of things, right? So Mm -hmm. that basically we fell into it. And there was no looking back after we fell into it.
1: So were you responsible for fitting out your manufacturing as well? Like, were you?
0: Oh, yeah. When, you see, by happenstance, because we wanted to do OTC pharmaceuticals, when we put the plant together, right, it wasn't a huge plant. We're not talking about a 50,000 yeah. square foot, 80,000 square foot plant. No, no, no. It was a very small plant. Um, but we jumped through all the hoops that we needed to get blessings by Health Canada at that time. For pharmaceutical manufacturing, right, right, and so because we jumped through all the hoops, we we had the pharmaceutical manufacturing license, right, and but at that time, at the dawn of the natural product industry, I would say there was probably a handful of people who were actually manufacturing anything under a pharmaceutical license environment uh, whose plant was pharmaceutically blessed. Right. right, And so that was one of the advantages that we had. Well, at least I thought it was an advantage. And then the other thing was that because of my background in the life sciences and PhD, I actually knew what I was talking about. I actually knew what was, I could understand the scientific literature.
1: Right. No, that's a huge advantage.
0: Yeah. And back in the day, there's a lot of people who are doing stuff but, you know, if you ask them what they were doing and you actually try to pry a little bit more you'd realize a lot of them didn't know what they were talking about.
1: Well, this was... Okay, so in the current landscape, for the listeners who don't know, nutraceutical products are regulated by Health Canada.
0: That's right.
1: But when I started the magazine back in 2007, there was still sort of uh, a grandfathered and grey area where there were plenty of retailers and and product lines and producers who really weren't being regulated at all and some of the claims that they were making were hit or miss and the efficacies were hit or miss. it was really kind of the wild west
0: that, yeah actually regulations only came into being in 2004 yeah and it's like anything else you can't just turn the key and boom you're regulated yeah, exactly you know what i mean yeah so it took a while for all the regulations to fall into place Yep. right so today we're pretty well regulated yep right especially on the manufacturing side you know so even the marketing side is pretty well regulated also Right. So today, when you see a, a product out there, it has the NPN number on it or Natural Product Number. Yep. It's been blessed by Health Canada, right? And whether we like it or not, you know, Health Canada has done, in my opinion, a very good job at making sure that everything is safe and efficacious.
1: And you know, you actually have the onus because you're you're doing white label work still, right? Like you're manufacturing for other brands as well, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, the nice thing about us is because we are the manufacturers, right, Uh, and we own the brand that we manufacture, which is the Omega Alpha brand. You know, to me, there's a pride of ownership there. And because there's pride of ownership there, you've got to make sure you're putting out the best product humanly possible out there. And that means best ingredients, right, best efficacy, and so on. And
1: I know that you still have a hand in sort of the research and development, right? Like like you're still, you're doing the formulations yourself.
0: Oh, definitely. I still do all the formulations. A lot of the things that we come up with is basically driven by what people want in the marketplace also. And what I've always said to people is that whatever we do, we try to do a little bit better, mm-hmm. right? You know, because, you know, what my philosophy has always been, There's not just one single ingredient that makes a huge difference in your health, right? It's like anything else. Health is a process, right? It's like exercise. People will say, okay, we'll get healthy. We'll just exercise. But then they go eat. Their diet is chocolate, sugar, Mm -hmm. right? Lots of sugar, lots of carbs, no protein or imbalance in whatever they eat, right? Health is a process. If you do your exercise, you've got to make sure you eat well, also. For sure, right? And that's how you try to stay healthy. And you know, so it's a process. And there's not one single ingredient that will is a cure all for everything. So when people come to me and say, "Oh, this is the latest and the greatest," I say, "Yes, but don't forget some of the oldest stuff. There, you got to take this, 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 in addition to that."
1: So I know, like, magazines are organic too, right? Like, they're constantly changing. What what I would write about 10 years ago is not what I'm writing about now. And I'm sort of the litmus test, right? Like, being the publisher and editor-in-chief, I'm deciding the direction of the content, whether it's on this show or whether it's in the magazine. And my guess is it's the same process for you. How do you decide, like, which nutraceutical, like, new products or changes to products? How does that process work?
0: Well... There's no shortages of different types of products that's out there. For sure. Right. Yeah. There, there's yeah. no shortage. And sometimes you listen to see what the market wants, what the market is looking for. Right. Okay. You know, one, like right now, one of our upcoming new products is going to be a mushroom line. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason we're doing a mushroom line is because there's a lot of interest in different types of mushrooms out there, medicinal mushrooms. Yep. Right, so we expect to launch that probably within the next few months. It should mm-hmm. be available on the marketplace. Right, if you ask me, is this mushroom line the be all and the end all? And the answer to me, I've always said, is no. But it is a cog in the wheel of health. Yep. Right. So again. It, a lot of it depends on where we look at in our in our product line. We look at what holes are there in our product line, right? And we try to fill those holes so that we bec- we can become a one-stop shop also because we are a business at the end of the day. Right.
1: No, and, and that was my next question. Is this consumer-driven? Like, are you listening to your customers who are looking for mushrooms or are you reading the literature on the efficacies of the mushroom and saying, okay, it's time we stepped up with the mushroom? It's a bit of
0: bull. Because sometimes I see certain customers are asking for certain things, and then I look at the literature and I say, "But there's nothing in this." Yeah, you know what I mean. So when I look at the literature and I say, "There's nothing to this," I basically say, "Ah, just leave it alone." Yeah, right. It'll pass. And um, because there's a, there's a lot of products I've seen that's out there that uh, basically people want and or they, they talk about that's because there's a lot of people out there marketing marketing it and it seems to be the cat's meow and they make promises to cure everything you know and put you in the best of health from now till forever but if you actually look into the, into the studies that, that back it there's basically nothing there except hype.
1: Okay so let's imagine and you can take mushrooms as an example or not Let's assume you've decided, you know what, I think we're going to move forward with this new product. So can you explain like the timelines and what goes into the conception through to the product?
0: Well, back in the day, right before regulations, I used to say we could dream about it on a Sunday, right? Look into the efficacies, et cetera, on a Monday, do the literature search, et cetera, right? Source the material, right? Make the label up and by Friday, it's out on the marketplace, can't do that anymore. Wow. Right? Yeah. We're, we're a lot bigger. Can't turn on the dime anymore. So today, we think about it on the Sunday, right? Yeah. Then we spend about a couple of months digging up the literature to see is it worthwhile doing? Is there any information? Is the information true, et cetera, right? Yeah. Then what we do, we put all this information together and then we apply to Health Canada to get our natural product number, right? Right. Health Canada takes their sweet time. Well, I shouldn't say their sweet time, but uh, whatever, however long the process is, it is.
1: <laughs> I know it's better than it was back in two thousand five, six, and seven. That I know, right?
0: No, because of COVID, it's they're probably it's probably just as bad. Right? Oh, really? <laughs> it's probably a little bit better in, in spite of it all. But they're, they're getting their act together. Right? Okay, fair and enough. Yeah maybe about six months to a year later, we, we get blessed. yeah, And then we start putting the product together. And then finally, you know, my 10 labels are printed out, et cetera. We're looking at a year to a year and a half.
1: Right. Because, you know, and, I, and I've seen this not just with your company, but, you know, I walk the floor at CHFA, right, which is the Canadian Health Food Association. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have these products, you're rolling them out, and then you have to get them on the shelves, right. right? Like Obviously, you know, you're marketing them on your website too, but you know, retail is still, I presume, a huge component of the of the business for everybody.
0: Oh, definitely. We, as I say, our business, we, we go out there and sell it to the stores, etc. You know, and the, the nice thing is that because we've had a, re, a 30-year relationship with the stores, we can pretty well get shelf space on anything that we, we manufacture, right? Of
1: course. Yeah, no, you're you're incredibly well-respected. And, you know, 30 years... Like, I know I practiced law for 20 years before I gave it up, but you know, you you reach a certain stage where, you know, just because you're doing it, you learn so much about what you're doing. So, in celebration of your 30th anniversary, what would you say you've learned about the industry by being in the industry?
0: Well, what I've learned about the industry, in in all fairness, I I say there's a lot of marketing hype in our industry, but there's a lot of truth in in some of the things that, that people hype about. Mm-hmm. right the the biggest problem is always to separate the truth from the hype mm-hmm. and there always lies a problem and this is why I always encourage any consumer do your research, you know don't just believe what I say to you, listen, go out there, look at it and and what other people say to you also, take everything with a grain of salt, look it up yourself. Try and, and see what it is that, you know, there's always truth behind some of these things.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And is that the kind of feedback that you're getting from your customers? Because I know you engage your customers online and I'm sure... Yeah,
0: in all fairness, we have had a very good uh, reputation with product quality and product efficacy. People have used it, have given us a lot of... Um, come back to us and, and say very good things about it, right? Some things that they say that they use it for, we can't really use that in all marketing because Health Canada would smack us on the head very hard if we yeah. didn't try to say any of those things. But, you know, I am, I'm always blessed that I'm glad that people are getting product which they can use. And, you know, and this goes for the products we manufacture for horses and also for the products that we manufacture for dogs and cats. And that segment of our business is growing tremendously, too.
1: Yeah, I, I, no doubt. Well, thank you for coming on the show today, and, and congratulations on 30 years in the industry. That, that is something.
0: Well, thank you for having me on, and thank you for all the things that you've done um, for our business.
1: My pleasure. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. You can learn more about his business, Omega Alpha, by visiting omegaalpha.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss edible flowers with Shauna Lindzen on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit free, and great tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice, the mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To fully benefit from probiotics, you need to ensure they're not destroyed by your stomach acids. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a variety of enteric coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. Find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label.
2: This is The Tonic on Zoomer
1: Radio. My next guest, Shauna Lindzen, is a dietitian and nutritionist. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. And you can find her list of nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalinzen.com. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you?
3: I'm great, Jamie. How are you?
1: I'm doing really well. So, today, are we talking about food? I mean, <laughs> are you going to come on the show next month and talk about eating plastic? Because I'm not sure about flowers. You're going to have to convince me.
3: I know. It's a fun topic today. We're talking about edible flowers.
1: Okay. Y- yes. Edible flowers. But, like, honestly, you're really going to have to convince me. I know they look pretty on the plate, but. I, I don't know.
3: Should we eat them? Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? All right. So, aside from the fact that a restaurant puts a flower on our plate, how do we know whether or not a flower is edible?
3: So, you actually have to look it up because there's a, a strong distinction if a flower is edible or if it's inedible. Right. And if a flower is inedible, it could actually be poisonous right. to humans or animals like dogs and
1: cats. No, you have to be careful about what plants you have in the house if you have a dog, for sure.
3: Absolutely. And outside. Yeah. So last year, I remember it, at my grocery store, I saw a plant that was labeled edible flowers and it had about four varieties. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, I typically see these in those little plastic packages at the grocery store, like for, I don't know, 8 or $9 to decorate your food with. Mm-hmm. Why not grow it Sure. because they're labeled edible. So I mm-hmm. bought it and I used the flowers and I actually ate them and tried them. And I thought it was kind of fun. Did
1: you wash them first?
3: So they say that if they're edible, they're not really sprayed with the pesticides and chemicals. Yeah. So I did wash them, but if you are growing them or buying them, I would wash them before you eat them just because they may be sprayed with pesticides or chemicals. You never know, right?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, but they're delicate, right?
3: Yeah. So you just take, that's a good point. So you take, you know, a damp cloth and just wipe them off. But the best way to figure out if they are edible, like if you have flowers in your garden, Mm -hmm. is to actually just look it up. Like there are lists on the internet that indicate if they are
1: Edible. or you give it to somebody you don't really care about
3: <laughs> yeah you poison them it's true well
1: not intentionally but you know it's a little game of russian roulette with, with the plants know, you, you
3: never know you know
1: if you don't really care about the person you just keep you keep an eye on them and make sure you have 911 on speed dial and yeah, yeah.
3: you're near emerge sorry
1: everybody knows i'm, joking. I'm <laughs> I know. I am joking
3: the interesting thing is people who actually are prone to allergies like yeah. People who have, let's say, nut allergies or allergies yep. to certain foods, they should avoid eating like the stems or the stamens. Like they, you just want to eat the petals of the flowers.
1: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Do you know why that is? Or
3: because they're more prone to giving you an allergic reaction.
1: Okay, so you're saying if somebody has anaphylaxis, so for example, my son has food allergies, so he should not be eating edible flowers, then, right?
3: Absolutely not. Yeah, unless he tries a petal okay. like you don't want to go for the stems
1: let me tell you something He's so allergic to some of these foods that even if he has trace amounts, it's a problem. You know, I actually don't, I'm not sure that's good advocacy. I think if if you have a food, like stay yeah, away. I, I think yeah. you stay away if you have food allergies, I would say. Yeah,
3: I agree. And it's interesting because when we think about which ones are edible, mm-hmm. we actually know commonly like chamomile tea, that's a flower. Sure. So. Hibiscus. Yeah. Yeah. Hibiscus, chamomile, that type of thing. Lavender. Yeah things that they use for like to make makeup and that type of thing. And don't forget like in the fancy bakeries, you'll see lavender petal cookies, right? Right. So they use the actual petal from it. It's quite cool.
1: Okay. So here's where you lose me because I grew lavender in the garden, you know, one year and I thought I would use it as an herb, but eh. Like what are these flowers? I know they're beautiful, right? And they're dramatic, but to your palate, any of them really taste good? So
3: some of them do actually, they have like a slight, like lavender is one of those that if, you know, you walk into a spa and you smell that lavender.
1: Oh, I love the smell of lavender. Yeah, I'm not not so fond of the taste of.
3: Exactly. So the smell is strong. The taste may be bitter. So I would say most of these flowers have more of a, bitter type of flavor. And some of them have like citrus undertones or kind of woody undertones, just like a lettuce leaf would have, like arugula, for
1: instance. Sure. Well, I love arugula. But when you describe something as potentially poisonous and or bitter, I'm wondering, is it worth the trouble?
3: (laughs) Is it worth the trouble? And oddly enough, which is what I always get into, they're actually kind of nutritious.
1: Okay, so yeah, that was my next question. So are there efficacies for eating these flowers?
3: Yes, like they're essentially plants, right? So it makes a lot of sense that they have vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, the phytonutrients. It's it's kind of cool. So it's funny because if you ask me like what type of flour have you cooked with before? I don't think of it nutritionally. I think of it more of, you know, like fun recipes, like like stuffing a zucchini flour with like cheese and then dredging it in flour and frying it, you know, that type of thing.
1: Okay yeah, but that's like a vessel, right, so like mm-hmm. I get it right so you're st- and a lot of people do this, right the zucchini blossoms, which you can buy in in the grocery store certain times of the year, but really people are eating that for what goes into it, right It's what you're stuffing into the blossom that is, that is delicious, right like mm-hmm. I don't know,
3: so it's not a strong flavor, like True. the zucchini yeah. blossom yeah. Yeah. is True. kind of it tastes like slight slightly like zucchini. So think of it that way. Like if the flower, what it produces. So for instance, dill, mm-hmm. it produces flowers at the end of the season. And yeah. that means the dill is no longer edible. It's it's way too bitter. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like the mature, once the herb is mature, it will start flowering. And at that point, you can't really use the
1: herb. The only one like that I kind of go for, but it's like it's also kind of a waste is is like chive blossoms because if you have the blossoms which you can not eat you might as well just eat the chives themselves like i like it doesn't really yeah. it doesn't but it's pretty right mm-hmm. you know
3: and you're getting like the strong chive flavor but with the blossoms you're getting a weaker flavor
1: yeah yeah much more subtle it's really
3: interesting i actually really enjoyed um, researching this topic okay cuz it's interesting that You know they're plants. Well, yeah. And we eat plants. Sure, but so is
1: Kentucky Kentucky bluegrass. But I don't chow down on it, right? (laughs) You know. I know. All right. So, other than zucchini blossoms, what sort of are you putting them in salads? Like, how do you use them?
3: Yeah. So, what I typically do is I will take the petals off and I'll decorate it for color. Mm -hmm. And if they're edible, you just eat them with, like, let's say, a chicken dish or a salad. It's quite pretty, actually. So, this summer, if you're, you know looking at your grocery store at the plants, look for edible flowers and just it's actually really brightens up your food. It's really pretty.
1: Okay. So if one were inclined to eat flowers, we're looking to you. Which ones have you worked with? Which ones would you recommend? And what do they taste like?
3: Yeah. So it's interesting because when I looked up different flowers, it was like I was just inundated by these these pretty flowers, like begonias Um, chamomile. So they're like the white, the yellow, hibiscus, lavender, hollyhock. These are all flowers that you can grow in your own garden. And then you don't have to be worried if they are, you know, drowning in pesticides and chemicals. But the ones that you have to be cautious about that are toxic are daffodils, hydrangeas they're pretty but they're toxic you do not want to eat them azaleas those are all inedible tulips are actually inedible as well Mm. and poisonous to animals so when you're looking for flowers just make sure you really research it and make sure that you don't buy anything poisonous, especially if you're prone to allergies, as I mentioned.
1: Okay. And do they have any sort of flavor profiles? Are there any with a pronounced taste other than the chai flowers that, that we were discussing?
3: Yeah, some of them have like a citrus undertone. My advice is buy the flower and smell it first and then just taste the petal and see if you like it. None of the flowers are going to have a super strong flavor. It's more of a subtle flavor. And some of them, as you mentioned, the chives are oniony, but other ones could have like a sweet or a bitter undertone. Lavender has a floral taste to it. Rose petals, Jamie, Mm -hmm. those are edible as well. So you can cut up rose flowers and you can like steep them and put some boiling water and you get this like really subtle flavor that you can infuse into cakes.
1: That's rose water, right?
3: Yeah, it's like rose water. Isn't that cool?
1: That is cool. Well, that is very interesting. I think we've exhausted flowers. What do you want to talk about next time you're on the show?
3: Let's talk about food and nutrition lingo.
1: Oh, the the argot. Let's do it. Yes. Thanks so much for coming on the show today.
3: Thanks for having me, Jamie.
1: That was Shauna Lindzen. For more information about Shauna, you can visit shaunalinzen.com. And you know, if you want more information about The Tonic, you can always visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss growing your own nutrient-dense food on The Tonic. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. The tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit free, and great tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice, the mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens.
2: You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio.
1: Phil Nata teaches people how to grow their own nutrient-dense food. He's with Thrive for Good, a Canadian not-for-profit that empowers people with the training and tools they need to grow an abundance of healthy, organic, disease-fighting foods. They have just released the Thrive Gardening Academy, a free online course where Phil shows you how to design a food garden, prepare the soil, and plant and maintain it all the way through to harvest. You can get the course for free at www.thriveforgood.org. Welcome to the show, Phil. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So this isn't my first rodeo. I actually have a vegetable garden, a raised garden in my backyard, but it's always good to hear from the expert. So let's start with this notion of nutrient-dense food. What does that mean?
2: Yeah, well, in the nutrition world, it often is defined as nutrients per calorie of food. So something like greens, like kale and spinach, tend to have a lot of nutrients, not too many calories, so they're considered nutrient-dense. Something like white potatoes has fewer nutrients and more calories, so isn't as nutrient-dense. And So that definition is a nice way to compare different foods when you're trying to get more nutrients into your diet for fewer calories. In the garden, I think of it a little differently. I am happy to eat greens and potatoes. I just want to get As many nutrients into those foods as I can when I'm growing them. And so uh, I'm just really thinking about that. I've been following some research that's been going on in the last couple of years where they're showing that, take kale, for example, Mm -hmm. really nutritious kale might be five times as nutrient-dense as poor kale. And so you would have to eat five times as much of that poor kale to get the same number of nutrients.
1: That's interesting. The
2: same for many different blueberries. Were an example that the most nutritious blueberries can be eight times higher in nutrients. And so that's what I try to teach people who are interested in growing food, is how can we get more nutrition into the
1: foods we grow? Okay, so I'm all ears because I grow both kale and blueberries. So I'm interested to know... Where do you start? How do you make sure that what you're growing is more nutrient-dense? Yeah,
2: well, I start with the soil. I start with two things. In the winter, as you know, this time of year, and maybe for the last couple of months, we've been maybe ordering some seeds. So I still do think about that first definition, and I do want to grow some things that are thought of as nutrient-dense. So I'm ordering my brassicas and my greens and, and the rainbow of vegetables that I want to grow. I've also found it interesting... as I learn about, I'm very interested in human health, and as I learn about nutrition, and as I look into some of the main diseases that run in my family, for me, it's heart disease and Alzheimer's, and I just learn about foods that might be good in helping to prevent some of these things. Mm -hmm. It was kind of an eye-opener when I eventually realized, hey, I can actually grow this food, or I can grow that. One that sticks out for me is is at some point I learned that there's at least a correlation between potassium and heart disease. And people who get enough potassium Mm -hmm. tend to have less cardiovascular disease. And so I started looking into which foods have the most potassium. It turns out it's not bananas, as everyone thinks. (laughs) They're okay, but uh, there are a number of foods that are higher in potassium. And one of the best is actually beet greens. Yep. So that was just a reminder that it's a good reason to grow beets, which are fairly easy to grow, and to eat the greens, which are exceptionally high in nutrition. And then, yeah, we get into the soil.
1: And tastier than you might think, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially when they're nutrient-dense.
1: <laughs> exactly. Okay, so you also mentioned the soil. Where does that fit into this?
2: Yeah, the soil is is the the big thing to think about after we've chosen which plants we want to grow we used to think of soil, and if you look at old soil textbooks, we used to think of it primarily as just an anchor for our plant roots. And we gradually learned it's the place where plants are getting most of the nutrients they need, not only nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, but the dozens of nutrients they need to be optimally healthy. And of course, we need those nutrients too. And More recently in the last couple of decades, we're understanding more and more about the importance of biology in the soil, the microorganisms like bacteria and fungi, and the small animals, worms and insects and other things. So when it comes to thinking about the soil and preparing our soil and and maintaining it, there's a lot of things to think about. There is that structure of the soil, which we want it to be a place that roots can grow unencumbered to get more nutrients and to get more water. But we also want to be thinking about the chemistry, which is the nutrients, the elements, and the biology, both of which work together to get more nutrition into the plants and then ultimately more nutrition into us. That makes sense.
1: What about the actual care of the plants? Is there anything that we can do that will help them along and be more nutrient-dense?
2: Yes, definitely. There is the soil work often in the spring, sometimes in the fall if you have more time there, where we are hopefully composting and adding compost occasionally, not only for the nutrients, but for the beneficial microorganisms it brings into the soil. Perhaps if we're really getting interested in nutrient density, we are taking a soil sample, sending it to a lab, figuring out which nutrients our soil is deficient in, so we can bring those specifically in. We also may bring in some more broad-spectrum fertilizers, like some kind of kelp an alfalfa meal that so just to make sure we have a lot of those micronutrients that our plants need. And then there might be some microbial inoculants to bring the biology in. Things again compost is kind of an inoculant, but there are others like compost tea. So there's all of that soil work, but it doesn't stop there. You asked about caring for plants. Plants are kind of like humans in that they don't really want all of their fertilizer once a year. <laughs> they benefit from regular access to Right. You know, in human nutrition, we might call them superfoods and probiotics. Plants like regular access to a broad spectrum nutrition yep. and beneficial microorganisms. And so I'm coming into my garden at least monthly throughout the growing season, maybe weekly, with some type of liquid organic fertilizers. You can purchase them. Some of my favorites come from the ocean. Mm-hmm. Things like Liquid seaweed, ocean water itself is very n- nutritious. Uh, again, microbial inoculants. There's one I like called Effective Microorganisms that comes out of Japan from research back in the '70s. And and you, of course, you can make your own. Uh, you can take a big bucket, stuff it full of weeds and grass clippings and herbs and various plant material, fill it with water, let that ferment for at least a few days maybe a couple of weeks, and then dilute that with 10 parts water. Spray that onto your plants. All of these things will just allow plants to bring in more nutrition for their benefit and eventually for our benefit.
1: Yeah. What about the actual design of the garden? Do you have any tips in that regard?
2: Yeah. Well, there's so many. There's the things I often think about first, which which you'll know once you get into gardening, you learn about these things. Most plants in our area, like full sun, most food plants. Mm-hmm. They want better soil. I, I just moved into a, a new property last year. And so I last year, I was just trying to observe. I have pasture around me. Where is the grass growing the best? That will be a better place to put my vegetable garden this year. I was also watching the spring as the snow has melted. Where is the snow melting first and where is it melting later? If it's the last place where the snow melts, that's Probably kind of a cold part of the yard. Maybe not the best place to grow a lot of vegetables. Yeah, I would love to have the garden near irrigation for the occasional watering that happens, especially in spring, near the kitchen for some things, my herbs and my things that I want to get to regularly. In in permaculture design, there's a concept of zones where if you are looking down on top of your house and you draw concentric circles out from your house, you want to plant things close to your house that either need your attention daily or you want to get daily. So that's those things like herbs that you might want to throw in multiple meals a day. And as we move out further from the house, we can get to things like fruit trees and things that we don't need to get to quite as often. A lot of times people might have a vegetable garden in the very back corner which tends to be harder to get to to harvest and harder to observe. And so I love to get at least some things growing right near the house.
1: Okay, we have time for one last question real quickly, and that is, what is Thrive for Good?
2: Thrive for Good is a not-for-profit I've been donating to for almost 10 years, actually. I know when I give $15 to Thrive, someone somewhere in the world who is stuck in poverty will get the training and the tools and even the seeds they need to start a food garden. And Thrive has been helping people all around the world for many years. I hope I get a chance to talk about the course too. Yeah, go ahead. And we Thrive has just launched this online course called the Thrive Gardening Academy. It's a free course where I show you on video how to do all of these things we've been talking about today. So how to prepare your soil, how to choose plants and plant them so they benefit each other in the garden, uh, how to maintain the plants so that they're more nutrient-dense. And uh, Thrive's mission is to empower people to lead healthy lives, and so the course is free to everyone. So, uh, again, we made you a special link just so it's easy for people to remember at uh, thriveforgood.org slash tonic.
1: Fantastic! Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. That was Phil Nada. For more information about Thrive Gardening Academy, again, visit ThriveForGood.org/Tonic. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the tools to help aging skin on the Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To fully benefit from probiotics, you need to ensure they're not destroyed by your stomach acids. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a variety of enteric coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. Find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label.
2: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
1: V Mystery is a certified skin therapist and founder of Skin by V, a private facial studio in Toronto that specializes in awakening the skin through personalized and science backed treatments. Skin by V also sells a selection of curated, luxe skincare products both online and in store. With more than 25 years of experience in the beauty industry, V has worked on thousands of faces and developed a highly tailored approach to the art of facials. Welcome back to the show, V. How are you doing?
4: I'm good, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me back.
1: So it's fate, it's Kismet. Yeah. We're all getting older.
4: As we, yes, we are.
1: And we all probably look in a mirror, unless we're psychopaths. And so we're seeing the ravages of time, but you're going to help us today, right?
4: Absolutely. Aging is really an honor, in my opinion. It tells us the stories. It tells us where we've been. It can tell us some really exciting stories. I, I definitely look at it as a positive rather than a
1: negative. <laughs> Interesting. Well, all, yes. right. So, all right. So if that's true, I want to hear how you define aging skin what does it mean to you maybe we're talking about different animals here go ahead Uh,
4: yeah no problem. So for me, um, aging is, listen, the inevitable is we are going to have a breakdown of protein fibers, which when I talk about protein fibers, I'm referring to collagen, elastin. This is the scaffolding of your skin that keeps everything plump and juicy, and you don't necessarily see those fine lines and wrinkles. But as we age, that scaffolding definitely try it does break down. That being said, Like I said, it's the inevitable. We're going to get it. It's going to come. It is what it is. But keeping skin really healthy and glowing and radiant. I feel like, in my opinion, when somebody embodies that in their skin, regardless of the lines and wrinkles, there's just something so beautiful about that skin over something that is maybe just plastic looking. And this is my opinion.
1: (laughs) No, I'm with you. I I think we have to be... Both figuratively and literally comfortable in our own skin, right?
4: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think that's the challenge too is, you know, a lot of people talk about aging as an anti-aging. Anti is such a negative word. So for me, I love to refer to it as pro-aging. We know it's going to happen, but how do we do it in the most graceful way so that we can just feel really good about the process? Okay.
1: Okay. So if we're comfortable with the process and we know it's going to happen, you got to help us out here, V. What's your top tidbit of advice for somebody dealing with the aging skin?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, definitely commitment from the individual side at home they touch their face twice a day every single day when that's you know in the morning when you wake up and you do your skin ritual and that's also at nighttime when you go to bed and prepping their skin so that while you're sleeping and your body is in its optimal regenerative state we're going to maximize everything that we've put on our skin to wake up just looking glowy dewy and just happy so You know, that being said, we really want to make sure that the skin ritual portion, AM and PM, is really taken care of. Now, when I say that, a lot of people are like, oh, my God, I don't have like, you know, half an hour in the morning. I don't have, you know, an hour at night. It doesn't need to be complicated. Simple things like. Definitely washing your face with cold water because cryo is a huge benefit to the skin. Really helps calm, soothe, constrict any type of inflammation in the skin. Making sure that you're cleansing morning and night, preparing the skin properly. And then, you know, small things like a quick two or three minute massage while you're applying your cleanser always making sure that you're moisturizing. And SPF, in my opinion, is non-negotiable because UV rays are definitely going to break down our collagen and elastin cells quicker than anything else that we do.
1: Are there tools out there that we can access that will help us with this process?
4: I am so glad that you asked that question. So yes, yes, yes. So First and foremost, for those of you who are listening to this podcast for the very first time, and those of you who are returning to this podcast, I launched my guasha cryo sticks, which is a combination of guasha, which is an ancient Chinese technique of massaging and helping remove lymph from the face, and then I embodied the cryo portion, which is really helping calm, soothe, and constrict any type of inflammation. That tool has definitely been a game changer so many people have said to me you know it's two seconds like you know a quick zhuzhuzhuzh zh, zh. And, you know, if I don't have enough time, it still works amazing. For those of you who want to create a really definite meditative state, so you just want to really kind of make it ritualistic, you can take longer. So these tools, you basically pop in your freezer, take them out when you're about to use them. You can use it over your cleansing oil, your cleansing balm, an overnight mask, maybe even your serums. And it's really going to help sculpt lift contour. It's going to deliver maximum oxygenation, which really in turn will help with the collagen and the elastin cells, keep everything really bouncy and dewy. The other tool, which I absolutely love, is microcurrent. Microcurrent is great, low-level microcurrent. Think of it as weightlifting for your muscles. So really kind of helping put them back where they need to be and these are small things that people can implement depending on their time restraints how much you know time they want to put into it as well you can do it periodically as and when it finds best for your routine.
1: So the sticks that you mentioned, yes. what do they look like? I'm imagining those, is it like those jade rollers or am I thinking of something else?
4: Yes, slightly different. So what I found was with these rollers, they were just basically rolling and sometimes it wasn't really sculpting or getting into the nooks and crannies. So when I talk about that, is, you know, the sides of the nostrils, you know, where sometimes we might have those little broken vessels or the nasal labial, the laugh lines, we're really able, to kind of lift up. So they're almost like in a little heart shape at the top, almost like a little ladle. Mm -hmm. And inside of the ladle, there is a gel padding. And that's the reason why you pop them in your freezer so the gel padding will freeze. And then when you take them out, they're very, very cold and they remain cold for a long time. And you basically always work from the midline of the face to the outer hairline because we have the most amount of lymph nodes. That's where we're really helping drain everything away that shouldn't be there and that's where you're going to get that lifting again I hope I described that correctly I hope you can envision it. I hope
1: so too, because I don't know. I'm asking you.
4: (laughs) Yeah, no, I hope you can like kind of almost envision it. They're like stainless steel. They're beautiful. They don't harbor any type of bacteria. So for those clients who are maybe acne prone or have those bumpies, no need to worry. It will completely calm that down as well.
1: How do we know? Like, what are the signs of aging skin so that we know what we're actually talking about?
4: Yeah, sometimes you may see that the skin looks dull, almost like lifeless. Sometimes it can look a little gray, a little sallow, just not happy, like you've almost lost the life out of it. You may notice that there's a little bit of, you know, sort of, almost like, you know, if you look at a desert, you see those little cracks and you may see that. That's a buildup of dead skin cells. Maybe they're not sloughing away quite properly through your routine. Remember, our skin cells are meant to regenerate. So that cell turnover is meant to happen every 25 to 28 days. That happens when we're sort of 20 and below. But as we go over the age of 20, that process slows down. So what we really want to do is kind of kickstart it again and say, hey, wake up, let's go. Like, let's bring those healthy skin cells to the forefront, slough away everything that's looking dull, gray and old.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. You also mentioned the morning and evening ritual. So you sort of, you mentioned it in passing, but can you elaborate on that a bit and explain what your regimen is? Yeah,
4: absolutely. So in the morning, I would say I cleanse with a beautiful cleansing balm. I don't want to do anything which is a gel cleanser. It can sometimes feel like it's too much. In the morning, you just want to remove any type of those cell buildups that came to the forefront while you were sleeping. Slough them all away. While I'm doing that cleansing balm, I definitely massage sort of midline to the outer hairline again. And then I go in for literally two to maybe two minutes, two and a half minutes with my gua sha cryo sticks, really invigorate everything to wake everything up. Great for anybody who also finds that they're puffy in the morning and then rinse everything up with cold water. Uh, vitamin C is definite. I use probably about four serums so yes, I'm a project junkie. <laughs> <laughs> and then a moisturizer, which has a little bit of retinol palmitate in it, which is great to, again, give me that beautiful glow to the skin. And SPF, like I said, that's non-negotiable. My nighttime routine, I do all of the above. I will sometimes do a double cleanse. So always start with an oil or a balm cleanser to remove any type of SPF or makeup and then go into a gel cleanser. The second cleanser is to actually clean the skin. Then I use an essence to really help prep and hydrate my skin, a few serums depending on how my skin is feeling that day or that night, and then I always sleep with an overnight mask. Like, that is my thing. It leaves my skin looking like a glazed donut, and I absolutely love it.
1: Okay. Well, you've certainly painted a vision for us there.
4: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So we have time for one last
1: quick question. Why do you think sleep is so important to skin health? Absolutely.
4: Sleep is one of the biggest contributors to how our skin aesthetically looks. When we sleep, our body is in its um, resting phase. When our body is resting, it's able to help repair, regenerate. So you really want to make sure you get a good, solid six to eight hours of sleep, and that should be thorough That's why your nighttime routine is so essential. So while your body is in that reparative state, it's really helping feed through those wonderful nutrients, through your wonderful skincare that you put on your skin. And that's when you're really going to start noticing the difference. So never, ever skip out on your nighttime routine, no matter how tired you are.
1: Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
4: Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me back.
1: That was V-Mystery. To learn more about V, please visit SkinByV.com. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Shauna Lindzen, Phil Nada, and V-Mystery. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's the Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The March-April issue is still available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.